0: Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Alright, so we are in the final week of our message series, Five Years From Now. And really what we've been talking about over the last several weeks is how to live the best life you can possibly live. By asking this question, five years from now, what do you want your life to look like? Five years from now, do you want your life to be better than it is now? Do you want it to be the same? Do you want it to be worse? I mean, I think obviously for all of us, we want our lives to be radically different, radically better five years from now than our lives are today. And so we've been asking lots of questions. What does that look like? How do we get there? Um, And and so what we've done is we've actually looked at a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote out of the book of Romans. Now, Romans was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He'd never been to Rome. He just wrote a letter to a bunch of Christians there he hadn't met because he really wanted to meet them and he wanted to encourage them. In Romans chapter 15, and we're going to go into Romans chapter 16 today, we see this roadmap that Paul has laid out as he's talking about his own life. And it really is for us a roadmap in how five years from now to live the best life ever. How can we follow some steps to make sure that our life five years from now is the best it could possibly be? And over the last several weeks we've talked about things like, you know, the first thing you got to do is you got to understand your calling. Understanding who it is that God has wired you and created you to be. When we understand our calling, we can understand the direction we're going. And then to understand a vision for our lives and to have a vision for our lives. And really to grasp God's vision for our life. And the vision brings context to our calling. Maybe our calling is, to, is to, to love on kids and to help, you know, connect kids to Jesus. And maybe the vision for that is to work in kids ministry. Maybe the vision for that, maybe you're terrible with kids, but you have a calling to make sure their lives are the best ever. And so your vision is to start a nonprofit where you can impact kids' lives by never having to see them or change diapers, right? And so like, so our vision, understanding that vision gives context to our calling. And then last week we talked about the fact that, that knowing our vision and calling are super important but that God may lead us to the ultimate destination he has for our lives in a different path than we anticipate. That sometimes a straight line is not the best way, and that God leads us by putting opportunities in front of us that maybe don't feel like they are our final goal that we want to get to, but they're opportunities that we are uniquely equipped to meet, and that God gets us to our ultimate destination. He gets us to that great future by leading us on these side paths, these side trails of opportunity to meet the needs of other people. And really, ultimately, the last week we talked about this fact is that, is that God will never sacrifice meeting other people's needs to get us to our ultimate Goal and our ultimate vision. But that he uses those opportunities to get us to where we want to go. And so so today, just kind of wrapping up and and ending this thing out, I wanted to to look at what is what does five years actually look like from now as far as what we do. How How do we live it out? What do our actions look like? when we are living the best life we could possibly live five years from now. In Romans chapter 16, Paul kind of gives this instruction to the Roman church, and he literally lays it out like this. He says, here's my final instructions. So he writes this big, long letter to the Roman church, and then he's like, okay, now that you've heard all of that, finally, last thing I want to say is do this, right? And if you guys have ever like, you know, coached your kids or coached Little League or coached any kid type thing at all, you know the last thing that you say is the thing that they're going to do or the thing that you want them to do. It's the most important thing. And Paul gives his final thought to the Roman church after laying out kind of this roadmap for how to live a great, fulfilled, and purposeful life. And he says in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, Paul says, I want you to be wise in doing right, and to stay innocent of doing any wrong. Now, this is actually really pretty good advice. If you just boil it down to what he's really saying and you take kind of the mystical stuff of like the Bible off of it, right? It's just do good things and don't do bad things. Do more good things than, than you do bad things and your life is probably going to be okay, right? I mean, that's, that's just good, genu- general, pra- practical advice, and if I'm plotting out a roadmap for like the best future, I mean, I'll be honest, this probably doesn't make the top 10 of, of good advice, right? If I was just making a list of all things somebody wa- I expected someone to tell me in order to live the best life I could, and to five years from now have a great life, I probably wouldn't expect them to say, do good things and don't do bad things, because it just feels like conventional wisdom. And yet, for the Apostle Paul, this was like final words. This was like so important. That at the end of his letter, he's like, now that I've told you everything, I want to make sure you get this. Do good things, be wise, do the right thing, and don't do wrong things. Now, I think for us to totally grasp the weight of what Paul wanted the Roman church to understand, I think we need to look at another letter that Paul wrote to a different church. And I'll just, even as we set this up, one of the coolest things to me about the New Testament is that that much of it, is was written as letters to other people some of it is written as a history no one who ever wrote any of the new testament thought they were writing the bible okay that was just like not even a thought in their mind nobody thought they were writing some holy scriptures it was literally just letters to people and maybe just you know trying to remember what jesus's life was like that's what they were writing But what's so cool about it is that when we understand that and we put these pieces together and we kind of take the mystery of Holy Scripture off of it and we just think about it in these terms, we can look at the connections between these things. And we can understand that that Paul wrote most of the New Testament and most of it was personal letters that he wrote either to friends, people he was very close to, or churches that he had invested in and wanted to be successful And if we're going to understand what Paul wrote to the Roman church, the background of it, what he really was saying, we need to look at a letter that he wrote to another church in Galatia. And so we're going to look at a letter called Galatians, and in Galatians chapter 6, Paul gives some some background on this idea of doing good things and not doing bad things, and why this is not just simple advice, but why this really matters in our lives. And he says this in Galatians 6-7, he says, don't be misled, which gives the indication... That maybe there's some people who are being misled. There's maybe some people who are missing things and, and not getting it. And he says this, you cannot mock the justice of God, for you will always harvest what you plant. Now, I've heard this verse bunches of times, and like, you know, the King James Version is, you know, God will not be mocked. You know, and it's just very like, this is like old, you know, old school, like menacing type Bible verse, right, when you hear it? Like, do not be a mocker of God. Man, if somebody called me a mocker of God, I'd feel like, dude, Puritan much? Come on. It's like, come on, easy. And so this verse, a lot of times when we hear it, I think that the, like, that heavy, like, super religious language weight of it, that's like, feels like, oh, you're being judged. You mocker of God, don't do it. It just, I think that makes it feel like to some that either this is a verse that i need to back away from because i'm not in the mood to be smashed by with a hammer or there may be there's some of us who like to smash things with hammers and we're like yeah you mocker, don't mock god and so because of that i think that this verse is misunderstood in a lot of ways particularly like the idea of mocking god what is mocking god is like like calling god names you know something you know what what is mocking god and so let me kind of elaborate on this. I think it's important for us to grasp this. Uh, when I was young, I liked to do stupid things. That honestly hasn't really changed, but let's just, let's just assume it was when I was young. And I had a friend whose roof was very easy to get on. And so we obviously would get on the roof. And every summer we'd pop up there and, you know, and we'd take our shirts off because I was super ripped when I was young. And, uh, you know, just in the summer and we just hang out on the roof with no shirts, you know, drinking Kool-Aid. I mean, that's just what we did. And and one day, as we were just hanging out on the roof, we decided to have a little contest. That contest was to see who could get the closest to the edge of the roof. And I was like, I think I got this. Now, just so you know, I'm terrified of heights. I do not do heights. But you challenge me to a competition, I'll jump off the Empire State Building to win. I mean, so so we we start taking steps to the edge of the roof, and we're like looking down and I look at my friend, and he's like a step closer, and I'm like, all right, I can get closer. And he takes a step closer. I'm like, now, because I'm scared of heights, it's like, I'm not going to stand. So I sit down, and I'm dangling my feet off the edge of the roof. He's like, all right, well, I can do that, too. So he sits down. And now it's just like, it's a butt-inching contest. You know what I mean? I'm just like, we're inching closest, closer and closer to the edge. And, and, I mean, like, the gutter's there. And I'm like, I want you to, I was all the way out on that gutter. And for the record, I won that contest. I want you to know that, okay? You should also know that I lost... Because I fell off the gutter, into the bushes below, nothing broke, but I was scratched up and gross and messed up, and I was like, I wanted to cry, and you know what I did? I was like, I beat you, chump. Here's the thing that you need to understand if you're ever going to have a roof-sitting challenge just so you can get to the closest, the closest to the edge, and that is gravity will always win no matter what, okay? Gravity is a law. That you cannot fudge. You cannot work around it. Gravity draws things to the ground with force. Okay? You can't beat it. It is a natural law of the universe. You cannot bend it. There are natural consequences when we try to defy natural laws like gravity. And there are natural consequences to our actions. If you sit on the edge of a gutter, gravity will win eventually and you will fall. And the world operates under these kind of natural laws, and we all kind of understand natural, it's science, right? We all grasp science. We understand that there's these laws that you can't bend, that are unbreakable, that the world functions under. And one of the things that many of us don't know is that there's also kind of, there's these spiritual, spiritual laws. They're natural laws, but they kind of exist and function spiritually. And the thing is, is that these spiritual laws have the same unbending qualities As scientific laws. They have the same unbending qualities as science. We're gonna talk about one of those spiritual laws today. And it it starts here with this this spiritual law, this reality of, of understanding something about God. And it is this, is that God is just. The word just is not a word that we use a lot in context. And when we think about justice, a lot of times we tend to think about punishment. That's really not what it is. Just is not about meeting out punishment. Just means this, is that God is perfectly right. He is perfectly fair in everything that he does. And it's like gravity. If I stand on the ground, I will never hurt myself with a high fall. If I go up to a roof and I goof around on the edge of it, Gravity will dictate that I may fall and that I may really hurt myself. It's my actions that got me to where I am. Gravity is also perfectly just. It is a law that exists in and of itself. God's justice is exactly the same. God is just. When we do right things, when we live according to his principles and his ways, we will operate under his blessing. And when we don't live under his guidance and his direction and under his love and under his hand, there are natural consequences to that. It's not that God is looking for people to punish. It is just a natural, unyielding, unbending law of nature. God is perfectly just. and, And in the spiritual economy, good choices bring good consequences. And bad choices bring bad consequences. It means this, is that you cannot hang off of the edge of God's gutters... And then expect him to catch you when you fall. Because he's just. Our actions have consequences in the natural world, and our actions have consequences in the supernatural world. And when Paul says, God can't be mocked, it's the same as as me standing up on the edge of a tall building and going, I'm never going to fall. And you're like, dude, you can't mock gravity. Gravity is going to happen, okay? And if you want to stand up there, if you fall... That's what don't, that's what Paul means when he's saying don't mock God. He's saying this, you've got to understand God's law, God's nature of justice is perfect, it is unyielding, and it is unbending. And if you tease it, if you play around it, God's not looking to punish you, he's not looking to hurt you, but you might find yourself falling off of God's gutters if you just get clue too close to the edge. And here's the thing, ultimately, we all exist within the established structures of God's Justice in the in the world that we live in. Now, one of the beefs that I think people have with God is that bad things happen to good people. And I, I maybe maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you just kind of someone dragged you here today. And if they did, I'm so glad you came. That's I'm I'm thrilled you're here. Uh, and maybe one of your beefs with God is this: is that I you know I feel like I'm a good person, and bad stuff happens to me. I see lots of good people. I see people who follow Jesus, and bad stuff happens to them. And then there's all these awful horrible people and they got lots of money and everything seems to go their way i don't understand why bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people how do they get away with that seemingly unpunished that doesn't seem like justice right well jesus kind of jesus speaks to this himself and i'm doing some background so we can grasp this kind of spiritual law but jesus says this in matthew chapter 5 speaking of god the father he says that god gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust alike So this idea that like, you know, God, why are bad things happening to good people? Good things happening to bad people. That existed back when Jesus walked the earth. And Jesus was like, listen, guys, here's the thing. Life happens. Life happens to all of us. When it rains, it's raining on everybody, whether you're good or bad. It's just the reality of the fact that we live in a a broken world. But what Paul wants us to grasp is this, is that even though life happens to all of us, there are consequences to our actions. There's consequences to our choices and our decisions that play out in our lives that are not just the natural it's raining thing outside, but sometimes there are things that we do, there are seeds that we plant in our lives that are eventually gonna grow into something bigger. And sometimes it takes a lot of time for seeds to grow in our lives. I mean, when a farmer plants corn, he doesn't plop a seed in the ground, go to bed, and then step out the next day and, pff, you know, just let's harvest this sucker. No, it's, it sits there. I mean, if I was a farmer, I would be in my house going, okay, come on, where are you guys at? Come on, let's grow. I would just be panicked all the time that none of my seeds were going to grow because it takes time. And in our lives, the seeds that we plant in our lives, whether good or bad, they take time to grow. And sometimes we can look at That beyond the, you know, the rain that falls on the just and the unjust, and we can look at people who are living bad lives, and we can go, well, you know, there's no consequences for their bad choices. And my friend, let me tell you, they are planting seed. And just because you can't see that seed growing and being harvested yet does not mean that it is not there. Because what we're talking about today is a spiritual law called the law of sowing and reaping. It's a spiritual law. It's the law of planting and harvesting. And basically it means this. What you plant, you will harvest. What you sow, you will reap. And so let me, let me kind of elaborate on this, this spiritual law a little bit so that we can totally grasp it and understand it. And there's a few things about this spiritual law of sowing and reaping um, and choices and consequences that if we get, it'll help us to be able to plant the right seed now. So that five years from now, we're living the best life we possibly can. Now, to kind of wrap this around, I want to share a story um, that happened in my life, and I think this helps, you know, for me at least, to understand the law of sowing and reaping. I used to drive a little sporty Saturn SL2 because I'm a cool guy, and I drive cool cars. And, uh, and I, I was just driving it one summer, and I just noticed kind of a smell and I, I don't keep a spotless car, you know, I never claimed to But this was a little, a smell that was out of the ordinary And if you know me, you know that smells are like I have like a dog sense of smell, for real And like, smells are, ah, I don't get down with them It's just this weird kind of gross smell So I took my car to the car wash, and I washed it out, and I vacuumed it And I emptied any trash that was in there And I just got it all clean I even got some Armor All, because that puts a smell on top of bad smells And I, you know, I got it looking pretty good That smell didn't go away. In fact, it just got worse. A week passed, and that smell was just, ugh, there. And I I couldn't understand it. My car was clean, so I I took my car, and I shampooed the carpet. Like, you know, got a little shampoo, you know. Cleaned it. Smell didn't go away. Two weeks passed just, I see air it out. So every night I'd leave my windows down. The smell would not go away. Three weeks passed. I'm like, this is crazy. Do I get to pay to get this thing detailed? I don't understand what is going on. This smell is just awful. So I took it in and I got it detailed. Smell was still there a month. And it is just getting worse and worse. And it's the heat of summer. And I got to have my windows down all the time just to breathe in my car. And I was just completely at a loss. After a month of this, and just let me describe the smell to you, okay? Because I want you to grasp this. Now, if you have a weak stomach, I'm sorry, but this is important. I want you to imagine like a septic tank in someone's backyard that's just been filling up for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then drop a dead raccoon in there, okay? That's the, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, that was the smell. So a month has passed, and I'm like, this is, I was literally at a point where I was like, I'm going to pull up all the carpet in this car because something has died in here. And something has literally crawled in here, and it has expired. That is what this is. So I, I, I'm, I was like, I'm going to start in the trunk. And I'm not joking. I was going to pull the carpet up. I got into the trunk. I flipped it up. I emptied it completely, spotless. And I'd been in the trunk already. I vacuumed it out, cleaned it out. It is spotless, nothing in there. And I'm like, okay, let's get this carpet up. And I reach down and I pull the carpet up One thing to know about a Saturn SL2 Is that over the rear wheel well That the metal kind of divots down Into into down over the wheel So there's this little kind of repository And I didn't realize it was there Because also in a Saturn SL2 The carpet that lays in the back Lays flat over the top of it And so I grabbed the carpet And I pulled it back And like a prince of egypt sized swarm of flies burst into my face <laughs> as i pulled the carpet back and i saw a plastic grocery bag with looked like a black stew that had just and the smell hit me in the face and i got it back and i was like well i found it right and so i i looked down and i as i got closer i realized i was like This is completely, like, black, but I think those are bananas. So I go into the house, and I was like, when did I put bananas in my trunk? And how did they get in? I couldn't understand it, so I go in. I was like, Terry, you're not going to believe this. It's like, I figured out that stink. There's rotten bananas in the back of my trunk. I was like, I don't don't remember doing that. This is crazy. And she was like, huh. (laughs) What does that mean? Well... I mean, about a month ago, I remember going grocery shopping, and I took your car. Now, Terry does all the grocery shopping because I loathe it. And, uh, and she's like, I, I put all the stuff in the trunk, and I remember getting into the house and thinking, I thought I had bought a couple bunches of bananas, but I couldn't find them. Well, that problem solved. So, okay. A bunch of bananas in a plastic bag had been put into my trunk somehow. Like, I don't know when she was pulling groceries out the carpet had been pulled up and it dropped under, but a full bunch of bananas had just been stewing and cooking in the hot summer sun in the trunk of my car for over a month. And just the smell of death... Filled my, and I had to live with that thing. It was awful. Now, I tell you that because I think there are some principles connected to planting and harvesting and sowing and reaping that can come out of that story. And that Paul really wants to share with us as well out of, out of Galatians chapter 6. And so, the first thing about the spiritual law of sowing and reaping that you've got to understand about the plants that you are, or the seeds that you're planting now in your life is this. The first thing is that you will always harvest the same thing that you plant. Okay? You cannot plant an apple seed and expect oranges to grow. You can't plant weeds and expect roses to pop up. Right? If you plant weeds, weeds are going to come up. You cannot plant bananas in the back of your trunk and let it sit there in the hot summer for a month and not expect a harvest of rotten bananas. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Like What we plant is going to grow into the same thing. Now get this, right? Let's look at what Paul says. Paul describes it this way in Galatians 6:8. He says, "Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, they will harvest, decay and death from that sinful nature. What, what you plant is going to grow. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting, everlasting life from the spirit. What you plant is going to grow." Now we we talk about this from a negative perspective And there's a couple of sides we're going to look at this But from a negative perspective If you're feeling like that It's easy to feel that way Because a lot of times If you look at your life You can see the the fruit of where you're at right now And you can look back five years ago And you can go Yeah, I planted some seed back then That got me exactly where I am right now I planted some seed that has has grown Into this full-blown addiction You know, and and. I started, it was not a big deal then, but now I cannot shake it. I can't get this monkey off my back. Back then, I planted some seeds in this relationship, and I didn't think it was a big deal. We were just having fun, you know, and now, boom, here we are. You know, five years ago, you know, when we first met, I, you know, I planted some seeds of some. You know, maybe some sexual stuff, which I shouldn't have gotten involved in. Maybe if you're a follower of Jesus, you're just straight up, you're like, I mean, I planted seeds in this relationship of sexual sin. I mean, this relationship started inappropriately. It started completely wrong, but it was fun, and I didn't think it was a big deal, and she was married, but it's okay because we love each other now, and like, they're divorced, and it's all good, but you planted seeds then, and now those seeds have grown, and now you're looking at your marriage, and you're like, where did we go wrong, and you can really Look at your marriage as a tree and that tree grew from a seed that was designed to be that tree In other words The results that you are getting in your life are exactly the results Of the seed that you planted years ago to get to where you are right now Meaning this is that you did everything to get to the life where you are at right now A long time ago those seeds were planted But I got great news Okay, the law of sowing and reaping, the law of planting and harvesting, the spiritual law in our lives, is not just negative, okay? It's not just don't do bad things because bad things will grow in your life. It's about good things, too. It's about what are the seeds that we're sowing that, that can grow into the best stuff in our lives. Look at, what, look at um, what Proverbs eleven eighteen says. It says, the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. It's not just about bad consequences. It's about harvesting great things by planting great things in our lives. Proverbs 22.8 shows the other side. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster. What you plant is the same thing that is going to grow in your life. So what are you planting in your life right now? Unforgiveness, bitterness, lust, anger, are these the seeds that you sow? Are these the seeds that you regularly see pop up in your life? And you feel justified in it, right? Because you, you have a right to feel angry. You have a right to feel bitter. Chris, you don't know what that person did to me, and I don't. But I'm telling you, I understand you're hurting. I understand how you, that you, I understand how you feel, but I'm telling you, you're planting seeds right now that are going to grow. And it's a lot easier to dig up a seed than it is to root out a tree. Second thing that we need to understand about the law of sowing and reaping, the first is we will harvest what we plant. The second one is this, we will harvest proportionately to what we plant. Paul says this in another letter to the church at Corinthians, and he says this, Remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, just some background on this. This is kind of cool. Last week, we talked about how Paul wanted to go as far west as he could to, to, bring, to preach about Jesus and to bring the gospel to people in Rome and then to Spain. That was his destination, his vision. But the, he went all the way back east to Jerusalem because there are some, some of the churches he's at wanted to take up an offering for people who are really poor and struggling there. And they asked if he would take their resources to them to help them out. Well, this is cool. What Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians is that offering. He's talking about that exact same gift when he's talking to the Corinthian church. And he's saying, listen, we're doing this. We're taking up a collection for people who are really poor and hurting. And he's, he's, he's just saying, he's like, as you give, I want you to know that when you give generously, you will reap a generous harvest. When you give a lot, you will reap a lot. A lot will be harvested. If I, if I could promise you, if I sat you down and I said, listen, I have an investment in the stock market that tomorrow is going to have 100% increase, 100% guarantee. You will double your money if you invest it with me today. I promise you, it is a guarantee. And if you're like, you know what? I want in on this. How much would you invest? If you're wise, you invest everything, right? Because your money's going to double Could you imagine if you're like, you know what? I think I want to get on this. Here's a dollar. That would be the stupidest thing in the world if you had a guaranteed doubling of your money. Why? Because you have the opportunity to double everything you have. Why would you just double a dollar? That principle with sowing and reaping is the same. We will harvest proportionately to what we plant. And when we plant a lot of good things in our lives... We can expect a harvest of a lot of good things in our lives. When we plant a harvest of godliness and living righteously and seeking after Him and in loving God and in loving people and serving others in the best way we possibly can, when we sow a lot of that seed, that harvest is going to come back huge, but it's also the same for the negative. When we invest a lot of bad seed, it's going to come back on us in big, painful, often challenging ways a bunch of bananas was planted in my trunk and it harvested the stink of a million, okay? It was bad. And I'm telling you, like, if you plant bad seed, the stink is gonna be way bigger than what you plant. Because the third principle is this, is that we will harvest, not just proportionately to what we plant. We're, We're never gonna harvest less than what we plant. But the third is this, is that we will actually harvest more than what we plant. Think about it this way. One apple seed. You plant one apple seed, right? How many apples does that grow? How many seeds are in those apples? It's just, it's, it's this, it's another spiritual law. It's this law of multiplication. And what we plant in our lives will multiply. Uh, Check out what Paul says. Paul, or look, look at what, I'm sorry. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus is better than Paul anyways. Jesus says this. He 's telling, he's telling the story of a farmer who's planting seeds. It was a, an agrarian society. there were a lot of farmers back then, so he used farming as an illustration a lot, and Jesus tells the story of a farmer planting seeds. and he says, "Still, this farmer was planting seeds, and other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Jesus is specifically talking about someone who's sowing seeds of righteousness and sowing seeds of, of following and loving Jesus. And and sowing seeds of investing what Jesus has done in their lives into the lives of other people. 30, 60, 100 times is their return on investment. And here's, man, you want to go old school? Let's go like WWE Bible verse in Hosea 8-7. It says, they have planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind, right? You're going to reap the whirlwind. You know, ever hear that before? Bet you didn't know that was the Bible. That's pretty cool, huh? This is what Hosea is saying. He's like, listen, they planted a little bit. But what they harvested was huge. Now, Hosea is talking about the people of Israel, and they were planting bad seed. They were planting bad wind. Like, and I, like, Does that mean they were like, farting a lot? I don't know, but like, it was bad. That's what they were doing. And they reaped a whirlwind. So much more than they planted. And in God's spiritual economy, when we invest, when we plant just even the smallest amount, we will, we will, harvest, both, we will harvest all of what we plant, We will harvest proportionally what we plant, never less, but we will harvest more than what we plant. And so, man, as we ask ourselves, what am I planting in my life? What seeds am I sowing? Because five years from now, the seeds that you're planting now, they're going to come to life. And that's when we're going to experience this return. The kingdom of God is based in the spiritual law of what you plant, you will harvest, what you sow, you will reap. Look at what Paul says to kind of wrap this passage out of Galatians. He says, knowing all of this, knowing about the spiritual law, knowing that what we plant will grow in our lives, and it'll grow bigger and it'll it'll be huge. He said, because you know this, and this is how how Paul comes back to to what we talked about in, in Romans, where he says, do good, don't do bad things. Paul says, because what we plant will grow, let's not get tired of doing what's good. Don't get worn out in it. Don't look at the other people who are doing bad and think, well, it's not fair. They got good stuff happening to them. Why am I working so hard to, do, to live righteously and to live good? When they're doing this, and that looks like a lot more fun. Don't get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, again, at just the right time, it takes time for seeds to grow. It takes time for them to come up and produce fruit. But at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. God wants you to live a blessed life, a full life, a purposeful and fulfilled life. Therefore, because of all of this, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Do good. Be wise in doing what's right. And don't do what's wrong. Follow Jesus. Live God's plan and his purpose for your life. Not because God wants to punish you, but because God wants you to benefit from the law of sowing and reaping. God wants to multiply your investment. He doesn't want you to lose it and end up owing even more. God wants five years from now for your life to be the best it could ever be. So as I just wrap up, let me ask this question. What if you are in the middle of your own bad harvest right now? You're like, Chris, this is great. And if you would have told me this five years ago, maybe I wouldn't be in this screwed up mess that I'm in right now. Maybe I wouldn't have let that guy put a ring on my finger. Maybe I wouldn't have got involved in this thing that has become a full-blown addiction, and I can't shake it. It's just stuck to me. Maybe I wouldn't have messed around in this relationship that has just blown up all of my friendships, and it's blown up my family. You know, it's 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 too little too late. You've already made the decisions that have shipwrecked your life, shipwrecked your marriage, shipwrecked your family, shipwrecked your spirit. What about me? What about when I feel the weight of God's justice crushing down on me? Because I know I did the wrong thing over here, and how am I ever going to get back to the other side? Here's the Here's the great news. The good news is this, is that God's justice, like gravity, it is set and it is unbending. And sin is like a cliff that we walk up to the edge to. And the reality is is that every single one of us has stepped off that cliff. And the unbending law of God's justice says this: We will fall until we hit the ground. And hitting the ground is an inevitability for each and every single one of us because of the science of God's justice that is unbending and that must be met. But do you know what God did? Because he loved us so much, he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived life as a man, a perfect life, and, and, and he, he lived his life all the way up to his death on the cross, which was where he paid the price for God's justice that had to be met for us. And as we fell off that cliff of sin, plummeting towards the ground, that justice, that the gravity of justice demanded that we hit, God sent Jesus to hit the ground for us and God stuck his hand out and he caught us. And he said, my justice has been met. I met it for you so that you wouldn't have to. You see this law of sowing and reaping, this this ability that we have to plant good seed, it's a gift that God has given us because he has removed the weight of his justice from our lives in the cross, in what Jesus did for us. The demands of God's justice have been met. And now god's looking at us and he's saying this will you just say yes will you allow me to catch you so that you don't have to hit the ground and then once i catch you will you sow seed so that the consequences of your decisions in life now will bring you the best future rather than a future of brokenness and of pain and of hurt and of destruction God wants you to live the best life that you could possibly live. And it's a life of relationship with him where choosing righteousness is an option for us because the justice that our sin demands has already been met by God when he caught us. So today, what seed, two questions, what seed are you planting and how much of it are you planting? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding us and, and Lord, honestly giving us a roadmap to be able to live God, a life that's so fulfilled and so purposeful and so right, God. And that it's, it's a roadmap that leads us away from the things that would hurt us and damage us and our families and our marriages and our relationships and our futures. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to see clearly, God, what is the seed that we are planting. God, I pray that all of our rationalizations that you would help us to see through those things, the things that we tell ourselves so that we can sleep at night, God, I pray that you'd help us to push all of those things away to see clearly the seed that we are planting. Because God, I for me and for every other person in this room, I want us to have a harvest of blessing. And I know you do too. So help us, God, to clearly know what we're planting and be able to know, God, what it is that you would have us plant. What are the seeds you want us to walk away from to stop, to stop putting in the ground of our lives right now? What are the seeds that you want us to move towards and give us a clear path to know how to get there? Father, I pray, God, for those today who would say this, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And God, they, they, they feel the pull of gravity because they know they've stepped off of that sin cliff and they, God, they can feel ultimately, God, like, like I have, that the ground is rushing up quickly and that ultimately, because I'm falling, I will hit the ground. Lord, I pray with them, God, I just confess that I stepped off that cliff. And God, I can't save myself. And I know your justice demands that I hit the ground, but I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to do it for me. And God, today I just say yes to you, and I ask you to stick your hand out and catch me today. Because I place my life in your hand. And today, God, for those of us who are not followers of Jesus, but, but today are ready to make that choice. God, the first thing that I will plant for you today is I will plant my life in your hand. Let that be the first harvest that grows. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for what you're doing in us. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.